open up your Bible to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. So in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. So just kind of move through in that order, but open up your Bible to Philippians. And we're going to be looking at Philippians throughout the course of this month. So before we dive in, uh, I'm just going to open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the time of worship that we've had together. And, and God, you know, sometimes we come with hearts that are ready to worship because there are some great things that are happening uh, in our lives, in our families, in our circles. God, sometimes it's hard to worship because we bring a heavy heart because of challenges that, that we are facing. But, but Lord, I pray that for all of us here this morning, whether we are experiencing uh, the joys of life or the challenges of life, that Lord, our heart this morning will find a way to, to reach out to you and that you will reach out to us and that we will be ministered to exactly where we are in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians throughout the course of this month. And so because we're going to spend uh, November in Philippians, I thought it might be helpful to just kind of give you a little background uh, information on Philippians. And I don't do that a lot, but I think that it will help you to kind of understand some of the things that we encounter in the book of Philippians if you have a little bit of background, a little bit of context uh, about uh, Philippians. All right, so the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And uh, in, our, in total, Paul wrote 13 of 27 books in the New Testament. So in, in a way, Paul wrote almost half of our New Testament. Now, we call them books in our Bible, but basically they were letters. Paul wrote letters to people and churches uh, to talk about the Christian life and, and doctrine and things of faith. And so he writes these 13 letters, and out of those 13 letters, four of them were written from a prison setting. And we call those the prison epistles. An epistle is just a, a different word for letter. So he wrote four prison letters. So three of them were Ephesians, the book of Colossians, and he wrote one personally to Philemon. The fourth one is the book of Philippians, the letter to the church of Philippi. And so this is a letter that is penned by uh, by Paul as he is in prison. So he wrote this letter from imprisonment in, in Rome. And he had arrived there through a series of pretty unique and unusual circumstances. And most of these are, are conveyed to us in various passages of scripture in the book of Acts. So kind of piecing things together, here's kind of the, the timeline of what happened for Paul to wind up in Rome. All right, so Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, and uh, the Romans basically had accused him of uh, kind of inciting a riot. You know, and I, I was reading that, and I got to thinking about that to myself, and I'm like, what would it be like to, to be you know, in a church where your pastor is arrested for causing a riot? I'm like, wow, that'd be, 
That'd be a little bold, be a little different. Well, how was, how's your church this week? Well, we had to have a guest speaker because our pastor got arrested for starting a riot. Yes. I don't know. You know, it's not a resume enhancer for most people. But Paul, he was, man, he's following the Lord and, and he gets arrested by the Romans. Well, there was a plot to uh, assassinate Paul. And so the Romans removed Paul from Jerusalem and they sent him over to the, the Mediterranean Sea on the coast of, of Israel uh, to Caesarea. Now, while he is in prison in Caesarea, he winds up uh, presenting the gospel to the governor there, Felix and, uh, and Drusilla. All right, but Felix... For whatever reason, we don't really know why, but Felix did not uh, reach a decision in the legal case of Paul. And so Paul is still in prison in Caesarea for, for two more years until Felix was replaced by another governor, Governor Festus. And guess what Paul did when Governor Festus arrived to hear the case? He shared the gospel again. And then he shared the gospel with, with Festus and then with King Agrippa and Agrippa's wife. So what's really kind of cool about that is in Acts chapter 9, uh, it's, it's said that Paul would take the gospel not only to Israel, but to the Gentiles and the kings. And so here's, here's Paul living out exactly what it was said that he would do. But Paul is still in prison and this thing isn't going anywhere. And Paul has a passion for spreading the gospel everywhere and he's sort of stuck. And Paul had always had a heart to go share the gospel in Rome. Well, Paul was a Roman citizen and every Roman citizen had a legal right to appeal their case to Caesar in Rome. And so Paul, because he wanted to go to Rome and share the gospel, he appealed his case to Caesar. Now, when you appealed your case to Caesar, that did not mean that Caesar would be the one who actually heard it, but it would assure that the highest courts in the Roman Empire would hear your case. And so Paul, with a heart to reach Rome and share the gospel, he finally got to Rome. But he got there through shipwreck, through hardship, and in chains. But he didn't lose heart. Because now, Paul was finally in a place where he could share the gospel to a brand new set of ears. And so, Paul is sitting in this confined space, writing this letter to the church of Philippi, and he had good reason to write them. Now, let me just give you a little bit of information about Philippi. You probably are aware of the story, but you may not realize that this happened in Philippi. Paul and Silas, on one of their missionary journeys, uh, they were walking around and trying to, to share the gospel, and uh, they were being followed by a slave girl who was demon-possessed but was a fortune teller. 
And while they were going around, this girl was following around behind them everywhere they went. And at one point, Paul turned around and cast this demon out of the girl where her owners got really mad because they knew that was going to cost them money. So they dragged Paul and Silas into the public square, accused them of teaching heresy. They were beaten badly and thrown into yet another prison. And it was in that particular prison where at midnight, Paul and Silas started singing. And it was in that prison that there was a, an earthquake at midnight that completely released their chains and opened the jail doors. Now, that tells me one of two things. Either their singing was really bad or really good. And I'm not, I was like, God said, okay, I've heard enough. I don't want to hear anymore. Just stop. Or it was really good. I'm so proud of y'all. I'm just going to make this work out. And, and so when we were singing that song earlier, um, let me be singing when the evening comes. That was flashing through my mind. You know, because sometimes it is hard for us to, to have that heart to worship, isn't it? Sometimes when life is hard, it's hard to just engage in worship. I don't know if it gets a whole lot worse than being beaten for no reason after you cast a demon out of a girl and you get thrown into prison in the deepest, darkest area of the prison and you start singing and having a revival at midnight? That's what they did. And God responded. And guess where that was? That was in Philippi. And when Paul was finally released, it was the church at Philippi, the Christians in Philippi, that, that mended his wounds and gave him care. So he had really grown a heart. He'd grown a bond with the people at the church of Philippi. And so he is sitting in this confined space in Rome and writing a letter to them. And it was for a very, very special reason that led to his letter. So I'm going to put Acts chapter 28 verse 30 on the screen for you. And when, when you see Acts 28, 30, here's what it says, that Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. All right, this is Paul in Rome. Paul was not in what we would normally consider a prison cell. He was in a rented home. But it wouldn't be a home that most of us are familiar with. It would be a very small, very confined, and, and very probably cramped space. And why would I say that? I say that because if you appealed your case to Rome and you wound up waiting on your, uh, your uh, trial to be heard and you, you were given an opportunity to have space, but you had to pay for it. Now, how do you pay for your house? How do you pay for your food? And you also have to pay for your guards. And remember, two weeks ago, we talked about Paul being shackled 24 hours a day to the Praetorian, a guard from the Praetorian Guard. You guys remember that? Okay. So how do you pay? And you had to pay for that. How do you pay for your guard duty? How do you pay for your food? How do you pay for your house when you're in prison and you have no work? The church at Philippi sent money to Paul to help him pay for these things. Church, that's why mission money is so important. 
Because when we send money to places that we are not, we're helping people spread the gospel in places and ways that we cannot. And the church of Philippi was sending mission money to Paul because they knew Paul had a heart to share the gospel. And so Paul is now writing back to them because they have been supporting him. They've cared for him when he was hurt there and now they're caring for him while he's waiting his trial in Rome. And so that's where we pick up the story and we will start in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Read that again. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. How good is it to have people in your life that when you think of them, they bring a smile to your face and joy to your heart? How many of you have somebody in your life that you can think of that that's who they are to you? They bring a smile to your face and joy to your heart when you think about them. Amen. Church, those people are so valuable to each and every one of us. So let me challenge you here as we, we begin this move toward Thanksgiving in the month of, of November. Let me challenge you that any time and every time you think of that person that you know that brings that smile to your face and joy to your heart, do what Paul did. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. Say a prayer for them. Make a habit of thanking God for the people in your life that bring you joy and contentment and encouragement. And not only should we make a habit of thanking God, we also need to make a habit of letting them know how much we appreciate their impact in our life. Amen? Sometime during the course of the month of November, I challenge you to let that person or let those people, however many they are, you reach out to them sometime during the course of this month and you let them know the impact that they have had and are having in your life. So Paul expresses this to them with joy. He said at, at the end of, of verse 4, I do this I, with, with joy. And if Philippians has one overriding theme, it's joy. Paul is in prison, but he's writing with a theme of joy. The word joy or some reference to joy is made 16 times in just the four short chapters of this letter to the church of Philippi. He's in, how in the world do you express joy that frequently and that often when you're sitting in a confined, imprisoned situation, chained? He's writing about joy while he's writing. He's got, he's got some prison guard chained to him. How do you talk about joy in that situation? Well, church, the path to joy starts with thanksgiving. The path to joy begins with thanksgiving. 
And Paul illustrates that exactly, that very thing in the beginning of this passage in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance. He was thanking God for the very memory of their time together. And so as we enter a season of Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is, is kind of the whole focus of the month of, of November for all of us. We know by the time we get to this, the end of this month, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is probably the, the most family-oriented uh, uh, holiday event of the entire calendar in, in America. And as we, we begin to turn our focus toward Thanksgiving, my prayer is that as we move through the, the book of Philippians, that we will, we will celebrate Thanksgiving with a deeper and more intentional purpose than maybe we ever have because we will understand thanksgiving and we'll understand joy in a much deeper and more profound way because of what we read in the book of Philippians. All right, so when we start talking about being thankful, right, well, what are you thankful for? And there's, there's usually kind of a, a standard list that, that most people go through. And I won't, I won't even bother to try to, to, you know, itemize the list. Everybody kind of knows what the basics are. Well, I'm thankful for this, this, and this. And it's pretty much the same across the board. Well, I want to go through this first chapter, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each thing, but I, I'm going to give you some food for thought from the Apostle Paul about some really interesting, profound, and creative things that we really need to be thankful for. So let's read together. <clears throat> beginning in verse 5 through 11. So Paul says that uh, he's always in prayer, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think of this, of you all, and by the way, that was Paul trying to say y'all, but the Writers of the, by the interpreters, they didn't know to put the apostrophe there. Um, just as it's right for you to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. All right, so I'm just gonna put all of these up here on the screen for you. We're gonna walk through them fairly quickly and briefly, but just some unique ways of thinking about who God is, what he's doing in our lives that we probably need to become aware of and start being thankful for. So the first thing that he does, he starts off in verse five and he talks about the fellowship of the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel. Now, it had been 10 years had passed since Paul had originally gone to Philippi between that time and now when he's writing this letter back to them. 10 years of fellowship. Now, just out of curiosity, does anybody think 
that over the course of 10 years that there had been absolutely no challenges, no drama, no disagreement, no nothing. Anybody in their right mind believed that over the course of that 10 years, none of that stuff happened. Why? Because most of us can't go 10 days without something like that happening, right? Much less 10 years. But here's the thing. 10 years had passed, and you know because people are people. We are prone to those things. We are prone to those, those tensions. And yet 10 years later, they were still enjoying the fellowship of Christ and one another. And you know what Paul is saying? Church, we need to lay down a whole bunch of other stuff and be thankful for the fellowship that we have with each other in Christ Jesus. Amen? I think sometimes we don't, we don't understand just how valuable it is to be a part of a fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you know that Paul, he had a heart for the gospel and he longed to be in Rome to share the gospel in Rome. But do you think for a second that he wouldn't have rather been enjoying the fellowship of brothers and sisters in that warm church in Philippi versus sitting chained to a prison guard in a small dank place in Rome? Do you think for one second he wouldn't rather be with them than where he was? We take far too lightly the blessing of fellowship. So I encourage us all, process that in the month of November. Be thankful for fellowship. And then he says in verse 6 that he was thankful for the faithfulness of God to finish what he started in us. That God's going to finish what he started. How many of you in here this morning have ever started some project, some task, and just somewhere along the way, you just quit because either you got tired of it, you got disinterested, or you just got frustrated. How many of you ever quit something in the middle before you got finished? Raise your hand. I want, I want, I want honesty here to be shared. Okay. Almost all of us, somewhere along the line, we've started something we wanted to do it. That's why we started it in the first place, right? I mean, you don't start something that you really don't want to do. So you started something that you thought, man, this is going to be so cool. But somewhere along the way, like, man, I'm just sick of this. I'm tired of this. I'm frustrated by it. I don't have time for this. And you just leave it. If we do that with some things, how justified would God be in looking at our individual lives to say, you know what, I'm just tired of it and I'm frustrated with it and I'm just done with you. How many of you think God would be justified in doing that with every one of us? But Paul said he doesn't. Amen. He said that God will be faithful to complete what he started in us. That, that transformation of who we are, that salvation that he began working out the day we said yes to Jesus, he will be faithful to complete it. I don't know about you, but I am way thankful for that. Paul said we need to be thankful for that. He is. And then 
in verse 7 and 8, he was thankful for their partnership. Thankful for their partnership with him in the gospel. I mean, we can, we can partner about a lot of things, but man, what greater partnership is there than to partner together for the cause of Christ, for the spread of the gospel. And Paul said he was thankful for their partnership, that he needed them. They were partners together in the grace of God. They had, they had received God's grace, and so because of that, they were extending grace to each other. And church, can we all admit we need to be a lot more grace-giving than we tend to be. We certainly want people to extend it to us when we need it, right? Oh, well, come on, man. Give me a break. Cut me some slack. But when it's got to go from us towards somebody else, we're not usually quite so anxious to show grace. But Paul is, is acknowledging that they received grace, he received grace, and they were partnering in grace because what we've received, we need to share. We need to show the same grace that we have received. Amen? Amen. And so Paul was expressing gratitude, thanksgiving, which led to joy for him because of their partnership. Now, I want, I want to show you a very practical way that partnership can impact somebody. Um, we just had Daryl Strawberry here. Daryl Strawberry, one of the, the best-known modern baseball players of, of our generation. But there was a baseball player that came back in the, uh, I think it was in the 40s, I, I forget exactly, but his name was Jackie Robinson. First black player in Major League Baseball. You think it was a challenge for him? Let me read this quote. Jackie Robinson was the first black man to play Major League Baseball. And while breaking baseball's color barrier, he faced jeering crowds in every stadium. While playing one day in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he committed an error. He needed a little grace. But his own fans began to ridicule him. He stood at second base. He was humiliated while the fans jeered. And then shortstop Pee Wee Reese came over, stood next to him, he put his arm around Jackie Robinson and faced the crowd. The fans grew quiet, and Robinson later said that that arm around his shoulder saved his career. Really? Yeah, really. This was a defining moment for Jackie Robinson. Now, do you think Pee Wee Reese knew that that was a defining moment for Jackie Robinson at the, at the time? Probably not a chance. So why do I bring that up? Because Pee Wee Reese wasn't trying to, to, to make a career-defining moment for Jackie Robinson. He was trying to tell Jackie Robinson, Jackie and everybody else that was there that day, brother, I'm with you. I've got your back, and I don't care what anybody else says, you and me, we're in this together. We're a team. And church, we need a lot more of that in our modern churches. Amen. Here's the thing. There's probably some people sitting here right now that are probably feeling 
in their Christian walk and service, they're probably feeling that exact same thing that Jackie Robinson felt on that day. And they're on the verge of making a decision that I don't need church anymore and I don't need to, I don't need to serve anymore and I'm just ready to give this up. And somebody needs to be a Pee Wee Reese that walks over to them, puts their arm around them, and says, you know what? I love you, and I'm here with you, and I got your back. You have no idea who we might save to go on to a career in serving Christ that changes everything. Paul was thankful for their partnership. Then he said he was thankful for growing love and growing discernment. Now, that's an odd thing, isn't it? Why? I mean, really? I'm thankful for, for your growing love and, and growing discernment. What in the world would that be about? Well, you know, we're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And you know what, church? It takes a growing love to be able to serve God faithfully regardless of the circumstances. Because you know what? Our, our understanding of love in most circumstances is it's that emotion, right? Well, today I feel like it, tomorrow I don't. And can we all just admit, because your pastor will, there are days that I get up and I really don't feel like serving Jesus. There are days that I get up and it's like, well, I'd just soon sit down and call it good. And if we were betting money, I'd be willing to bet that almost every one of you have had those days too. And so our, our love that we're supposed to have is not an emotion, it's a commitment. And as we grow in our commitment and understanding that our service and our commitment to the Lord is not based on how we feel, but on what he did for us, that truth of what he did for us, then that gives us more strength to serve him and love him and abide with him regardless of what's going on around us. It also takes that same kind of growing love to be able to put up with the nonsense that sometimes we inflict on each other. Am I right? Because in the absence of a growing love, we won't show that grace to each other. We'll just get mad. We'll take our ball and go home. And not only do we need that for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we got to be able to show that to the people who are outside the family of God. Otherwise, how will they know that Jesus saves? And a discernment to see the devil for who he is and what he's doing. Right? Right? So Paul is thankful for a growing love and a growing discernment. He's thankful for the fruit of righteousness in verse 11. Now, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's similar to the, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit? It's those things that are the, the, are the natural outgrowth of a life that is walking in harmony with God Almighty. And can we all acknowledge that as, as Paul writes in, in other places about the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, 
those are the kinds of things that he's talking about here, and we don't possess those things in large quantity on our own. Somebody say amen to that. If we really want to display those things in our life, those only come to full fruition if we're walking correctly and faithfully with our Lord and Savior. And then they become the natural outgrowth of that kind of life. And Paul is telling them that he's thankful for the fruit of righteousness in verse 11. So verse 12 through 18, I'm not going to read that because this is what we actually looked at a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Paul uh, being chained to the Praetorian Guard and how everybody in the guard was hearing about him and how many guards he was reaching because they changed every four hours. So we're not going to read that passage of Scripture, but I am going to remind you that as we... we read that Paul is basically expressing that he's thankful for the spread of the gospel regardless of the circumstances or the condition. He's in prison. Would he prefer to not be in prison? Would he prefer to not be chained? Of course he would be. We all would be. But Paul was thankful that the gospel was being shared through that opportunity. And outside of his own imprisonment, there were some people in the area that were preaching, some because they had respect for Paul, and like, well, Paul's not here, and he can't preach because he's in prison, so we'll preach for him. So they were preaching out of a right heart. Some others were preaching to try to make it worse, to, to try to humiliate him. Well, look where he's at. I wouldn't put my trust or my stock in him. But in every situation, Paul said, whether they've got the right motives or the wrong motives, they wind up telling people that Jesus saves. And you know what? That is what I care about. Man, we get all bent out of shape and we get all frustrated when people aren't doing it exactly the way that we would. Don't we? Well, I wouldn't do it that way. Good, because you ain't the one doing it. So sit down and be quiet and pray for them. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So Paul said, I really don't care. I'm going to celebrate that the gospel message is being shared. So he's thankful for the spread of the gospel. In verse 19, look at verse 19. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that he is thankful that there's a happy ending coming. Have you ever, you ever started to watch a movie and you watch it all the way through and you sort of enjoyed it, but you get to the ending and it's just a garbage ending? And you go... That was a complete waste of my time. Because I just wasted an hour and a half and that was a horrible ending. Kind of makes you mad, doesn't it? On the flip side of that, have you ever watched a movie and, and it was like, man, I just, I'm not getting this. And you give up on it only to have somebody later tell you, what, you didn't watch all that? It's a great ending. You should have seen it. You had that happen? When you look at the Paul's situation, there's no way that this winds up good. But Paul was saying, yeah, it does. 
Yeah, it does. This is Romans 8, 28 being lived out in the life of Paul right here. I know that all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Paul knew that. He believed that. And he knew, I don't care what it looks like right now, one way or another, God is going to work this out for a great ending. Because either he's going he's to change my circumstances and I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to be able to spread the gospel even more for the glory of God or he's going to take me home to be with him and what better ending is there than that? We can be thankful today that regardless of what we're going through, Regardless of how bad the plot to our movie right now looks like, God is going to work out a happy, good ending. Amen? And then he continues in verses 21, or verse 20 through 26. We'll re- look at those really quickly. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, in verse 20, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. In verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation the picture there is actually somebody who is like standing on a watchtower making sure that they're not about to be attacked who's looking out on the horizon and focused just focused and Paul is focused now if you're in prison most prisoners are focused on one thing in particular how do I get out of here right How do I bring this thing to an end? How do I get, you know, an appeal so I can get out? How do I get my case redone or overturned? Or how can I break out? That's my focus. Paul was focused on the opportunity to live for Christ, period. Whether it was in life or in death, his focus was on how do I live for Christ? Let me share a quote with you. D.L. Moody was the Billy Graham of the 19th century. On his first trip to England, a young Moody heard these challenging words which would radically alter his life. The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And he said, a man, thought Moody. He didn't say a great man. He didn't say a learned man or a rich man nor a wise man 
nor an eloquent man, nor a smart man, but simply a man. I'm a man, and it lies with the man himself whether he will or will not make that entire and full consecration. I will try my utmost to be that man. Church, we should all be challenged in our spirit to have that same mindset of D.L. Moody and that same mindset was absolutely what Paul is expressing in Philippians 1, 20 through 26. That no matter what happens, I will be that fully committed, fully devoted, fully sold out man or woman or teenager to the Lord so that God can use me no matter where I am, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what my condition. We're going to look at one final verse. We're going to ask the worship team to come to the platform. Verse 27, he said, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Paul is saying that he's thankful for a God-honoring church. A God-honoring church. And he was saying that's what the church of Philippi was. It was a God-honoring church. And he was thankful for that. What does a God-honoring church look like? Paul said, well, it's standing fast in unity. In one spirit. In one mind. Not, not, not being chasing a bunch of different agendas. Not people clashing over this thing or that thing, but one spirit and one mind, which is what? The spread of the gospel. The growth of the believer to reach the gospel, to reach people for the cause of Christ. Striving together. You know that's actually a sports term. I, I know the Apostle Paul loves sports because this is a sports term. Striving together is actually indicative of a team working together against a common opponent. And you know what, church? What Satan has successfully accomplished in far too many churches is that we think our opponents are the ones sitting on the other side of the church from us. And Paul said, that's, that's not the sign of a healthy church. A healthy church is the one that realizes that our opponents are not the ones that are sitting on the other side of the church. Our opponent is the world and the influence of Satan. And it's our job to make that our focus, to come together and pursue the cause of Christ for the spread of the gospel. 
There's a lot of really cool, unique things to be thankful for that maybe you haven't thought about before. We got a whole month to just marinate in this. Go, Lord, help me be thankful. But some of you are struggling with being thankful because you don't really know the Lord as your Lord and Savior. You, you, know, you know the story, but he's not your Lord and Savior. You've not bowed your heart and you've not humbled your spirit and said, Lord, forgive me, come into my life. That can change right here, right now. Others of you this morning, you just need to really practice cultivating a genuine spirit of thankfulness starting this morning, which leads to joy. It's a great time to start. So, Father, the word has been brought. The message has been shared. God, I pray that it will find its mark in the heart of every person sitting here. Lord, may we not fear what others may think, but, Lord, may we respond according to how you've moved in our own life. In Jesus' name.